Now, there's some crazy, crazy things going on in the world at the moment, aren't there? I'm not going to mention any of them because I'm likely to go off on a rant and that could end really badly. But I'm sure you can think of kind of many things that you've seen or, or on the news or heard about recently and you just kind of wonder what on earth is happening, what on earth is going on in the world. And in the midst of all the craziness of this world, it's so important that as believers in Jesus, we regularly refocus, we stop and we refocus our minds on Him. Because otherwise, all the kind of craziness that's going on can just kind of mess with our heads a bit. And even if we're not paying any attention to all the crazy things happening around us and all across the world, it's so easy, isn't it, just to get distracted and unsettled by all the just kind of varying demands of everyday life. Work, family life, health issues, bills to pay, holidays to plan, hobbies to pursue, friends to meet up with, just kind of everyday kind of busyness of life. I don't know about you, but I find myself regularly being distracted by everything around me so that I, I really forget to, to, to focus on God. I really forget to worship God. And I forget just how truly amazing the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that he loved us, that he's come from heaven, that he's died for us on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again, that we can have our sins forgiven, we can have a relationship with God. I forget just how amazing that package of good news, the gospel, really is. And I forget and I take for granted all of the many, many blessings that God has given to me. And as a result, I don't worship God and I don't praise God for who He is and for all that He's done, anything like as much as I should or anything like as much as I could. The stuff of life crowds in around me and just sometimes sucks the energy out of me. And so often that happens that that Jesus just kind of gets moved to one side. And one of the first things that happens to me anyway, and I'm sure probably happens to you too when that happens, is that we stop spending time with God every day. We don't really focus on God as we should. And then sometimes our church attendance just becomes a little bit less committed. And life just takes over so that we're not really thinking about God at all. It's so easy to drift into that, and maybe particularly during the holiday period. And, and Jesus just gets put on the shelf a little bit. It's one of the reasons why the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote these words, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. And of course, the day he's talking about is the return of Jesus. Meeting together, like a church family like this, is so important for all sorts of reasons, but one of the main reasons is that it helps us refocus on God. It's just an hour or two a week, and of course we have other meetings and, and home groups and so on, but Sunday morning just gives us that hour or two a week just to kind of stop and pause and refocus and refresh and get kind of reconnected with God. And it helps us, it reminds us who He is, it reminds us what He's done for us so that we give time over to worshipping Him and praising Him. And of course, when we do that, not only does it mean that God gets the honour that He deserves, it also encourages us to keep going in life. That's what he says here, encourage one another by meeting together. And it's not just meeting together that helps us do this. Creating time in our day, having that self-discipline, creating time in our day to pray and read the Bible helps us as well. Jesus says this, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father. And it's so important to, to carve time out each day to be alone with God so that we can connect with our Heavenly Father by praying and by talking to Him. And as we do that, not only as we pray for things, not only does prayer change things, but actually, I don't know about you, but I find as I pray, I am actually changed myself. I, I enter God's presence with all kind of stuff going on in my head, and I leave God's presence a different person to the one that I uh, started with. 
And that's because we spend time with God. And God's presence, God's spirit transforms us and changes us. And Jesus, of course, quoting from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, said this, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The words that have come from God's mouth have been written down in the Bible for us. And reading the Bible every day helps us realign ourselves with God and refocus on the God who loves us. The people of Israel in the Old Testament of the Bible, 1,000, 2,000, three and a half thousand years ago, they had three main festivals each year. They were kind of harvest festivals for different types of harvest throughout the year. And the people of Israel were encouraged to go up to Jerusalem from around the nation of Israel. And the whole point of that was to praise God and to worship God for all that He is and for what He'd done for the people of Israel since their last festival. And King David, who wrote lots of the Psalms, wrote what we know as Psalm 65 to be sung at one or perhaps all of these festivals. It was a song to help the people to stop, to take time to refocus on God, to reconnect with God, to remind themselves as they came back up from having perhaps been away from Jerusalem and the temple for several months, to come back and to kind of recenter and refocus on God. And the Psalm had two purposes. It was a vehicle or an instrument that enabled the people to praise God as they sang, but it also had a kind of side effect of reminding them of who God is, who God was, and all that He'd done for them as, it, as they sang it. So not only did they worship God, it reminded them just how blessed they were. And so it helped them refocus on God, and it encouraged them in their daily life, and it spurred them on to live for Him as they went back to their villages around Israel. And if we look down this psalm, it's basically 16 reasons to worship and praise God. And the amazing thing is that these 16 reasons are just the tip of the iceberg. There are thousands and thousands of other reasons that we could give for praising and worshiping God. But these are the ones that David has chosen to include in this psalm. And maybe this morning your life has all just been a little bit hectic or manic at the moment. And for all sorts of perhaps really legitimate reasons, you've just not really been able to focus much on God. You've not given much time to Jesus, and maybe you've allowed other things to creep into your life and take over so that they've become more important than He is. Maybe you're just finding the craziness of this world all a little bit overwhelming, and it's kind of sucking the life out of you. Well, if that's you this morning, then I want to encourage you to read Psalm 65 with me as I read it to you in a moment. Just follow along and, and allow the Holy Spirit to refocus your mind on who God is and all that he's done for you. So I'm going to read Psalm 65, and we're going to look very briefly at these 16 reasons to praise and worship God. And then when we've, when we've done that, we're going to take communion together, and we're going to sing praise to God as Stuart and the band lead us again after I've preached. So let's read Psalm 65. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me. It's also on your outline, so whatever you're comfortable doing, or you can just listen as I read the words to you. So this is Psalm 65 written by David. This is what it says. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the Father seized, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. 
Those living far away fear your wonders where morning dawns and evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Praise awaits God. Praise awaits God. Simply because he's God, praise awaits him. He's God and he's worthy of all our praise and our worship. And God doesn't need to do anything for us. And even if God had never done anything for us, he's still God and so he's still deserves and is worthy of our worship. And yet the amazing thing is that he has done so much for us. Verse 2 tells us that he listens to and he hears our prayers, just as Bolu reminded us last week. Isn't it amazing that the one who just spoke and brought the whole universe into being actually listens to what you and I say to him when we pray to him? Isn't that phenomenal? Amongst the millions of other believers all over the world this morning who are praying to him at any one time, He's still able to listen to us as if we were the only one talking to him. That's, phenomenal. That's amazing, isn't it? When you're in your quiet time, when you're praying to God, he's listening to you as if you were the only person. And yet there are probably millions of other believers talking to him at that very moment. And yet as he listens to us, he's ready and willing to listen to anyone who will come to him in faith, in prayer, and talk to him. And that's because anyone and everyone can come to him. And that includes those that we're trying to share the good news about Jesus with. And as verse 3 tells us, those who come to him for the first time, overwhelmed by the guilt of their sins, can have those same sins forgiven, past, present, and future. The Hebrew word that's translated in English here as forgiven literally means to cover. Jesus' death and shed blood has covered. It has literally wiped out all of our sins if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment for your sins, for my sins. And it doesn't matter how big, how small our sins might be in a human perspective. If we come to God in faith, through Jesus, then we can have all of those sins wiped clean. All of those sins have been paid for. They've been atoned for by Jesus. And we're going to take some time later on in the service to take bread and wine together to remember Jesus and the price that he paid to cover over, to atone for, to remove, to forgive all of our sins. Verse 4 tells us that God chooses some people to live in relationship with him, and they're blessed because of that. And whilst it's difficult to get our heads around the idea of God choosing people, what we can at the very least say is that if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, then God has chosen us. That's amazing, isn't it? If you have trusted in Jesus this morning, then that is because God has chosen you. In fact, the Bible says this, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. If you've trusted in Jesus this morning, then God chose you before He even spoke these worlds into being to be here this morning. And not only to be here, but to be holy and blameless in His sight. And to be holy and blameless in his sight, despite all of our terrible sin, has got to be, I think, in my opinion, the greatest of all blessings that we could possibly imagine. When we really think about what that means. And because God has chosen those who've trusted in him, then we are filled with the good things of his house. 
A few years ago, we went to stay just outside Washington, D.C., in the USA, uh, in a house belonging to a family that, to this day, we've never met. It was amazing. They, they gave us their house through a, some friends. And not only was it fantastic to stay for free, that's always good, a free, a free stay, but the house itself was amazing and was full of so many amazing things, including a massive basement full of toys and games, which Daniel, who was only 12 at the time, he thought he'd died and gone to heaven. It was amazing, absolutely brilliant. And I thought I'd died and gone to heaven when I opened the freezer, which was full of food and lobster and every kind of thing. And they said, just help yourself to all the food. Went in the garage, the car is there, help yourself to the car, the keys are there. Everything was for us. And although as amazing as the gym looked in the basement, I have to be honest, <laughs> I, I didn't make use of that. But I did make use of the lift that went up to the bedroom. <laughs> Claire and I had a lift that went to our bedroom. It was amazing. And uh, that's what it's like with God. He brings us into relationship with himself, and then he gives us the blessings of living in his house, both now and for all eternity. All the amazing blessings of living in relationship with him, of being in his house, with all of the good things that he wants to share with us. Verse 5 tells us that God has done awesome deeds of righteousness. And David, when he wrote these words, was probably thinking back to, and and probably trying to remind the people of Israel how God had particularly intervened in their lives, in history, in the Red Sea crossing, coming out of Egypt, crossing the the Jordan, feeding them with manna, and so on. And, And we should definitely recall those awesome deeds as well. But for us today, I guess the most awesome deeds of God that are most relevant to us are the cross and the resurrection, aren't they? That God would punish his own son on the cross, a pouring out of awesome righteousness on Jesus against our terrible sin so that we could be forgiven and made right with God and made holy. And then conquering sin and hell and death forever by rising from the dead. That's got to be the most amazing deeds of righteousness that we can ever think about. And because of those awesome deeds of righteousness, God is our Savior. He's our Savior and He's also the hope of the ends of the earth. Verse 6 reminds us that God is all-powerful. He's the one who is stronger than we can ever imagine. God is stronger than we can ever imagine. There is no limit to his power. Remember, the whole universe came into being just because God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. And the God who created light just by speaking also created the mountains and the seas. And he didn't just create the seas, but he controls the seas. And that should give us great comfort because it means that this world isn't just kind of spinning out of control. It might look like that at times to us. It might feel like that personally in our own lives, the kind of seas, the storms of our own life, but also the kind of wider craziness of our world sometimes. It's good to remember that this world isn't spinning out of control. God is in control. God is in control and he controls the seas and the weather and the climate. So don't get too panicky when you see all the doomsday stuff on TV. God is in control. God is sovereign, and he controls the climate. And that means he's sovereign, and he rules, and he reigns. And God is sovereign, and that means that nothing happens to us in life without God allowing it. Nothing happens to you in life without God allowing it. God is still in control. God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. It doesn't mean he's the cause of the bad things, but it does mean that we're not at the mercy of Satan. Because God is in control, and he holds our lives in his hands. We're not at the mercy of fate or chance or good luck or anything else like that. God is sovereign and we are in his hands. And he's sovereign over the nations. When we look at some of the crazy things happening in the world today, 
It's so good to know that God has not lost control. And actually, you know, it's good to put things into context because things actually today, as crazy as they might be, I know crazier than they were 100 years ago, or, you know, kings and nations and empires come, and some of the, the leaders of those empires and nations do crazy things, and then they go. And kings and empires and nations rise and they fall, but God is still on the throne. And God is still, so- is still sovereign. God remains. Empires come, leaders come, nations go, but God remains. Verse 8 reminds us that not only, sorry, it reminds us that we're not the only ones who worship God. Sometimes it might feel like to you, it might feel like to me, you think, well, am I the only person who loves Jesus? You know, I'm the only Christian in my, in my workplace, I'm the only Christian in my family or on my street. But actually, we are part of a whole worldwide family of believers. Those who are living far away that also fear God and worship Him. God is worshipped worldwide. And it's good to be reminded of that sometimes when we, we feel maybe a little bit like we're the only believer in our family or in our, in our class at school or in our workplace. Not only are we part of a local church family here at Regent, and that's why one of the reasons why it's so important to not give up meeting together, to make that effort to connect with on Sundays and in home groups and so on, because it reminds us that we're not doing this on our own, we're here to help each other. But actually, we're also part of a worldwide family of believers called the universal church. Every believer across the world this morning is part of that family of God, the church. And right now, all over the world, there are millions and millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are worshiping with God. Some of them have already done that because the the clock is ahead of them, uh, is ahead of us. Some of them will be waking up and doing that later on today. But there'll be millions and millions and millions of believers who'll be gathering together, some in in secret, in hiding, in, in homes, some in much bigger context than this, and everything in between. Worshiping God, being filled with joy as they praise Him. And that in itself should be a cause of praise and worship. We're not alone. We're part of something far bigger far greater, and something that is eternal. And it's really important that we remember that. This psalm was intended to be sung at one of the three harvest times throughout the year, and it was kind of partly to remind the Israelites of God's amazing material provision for him, sorry, for them, from him. And it talked about God blessing the land with rain and abundantly providing food, both flocks to eat and corn to make into bread. Now, we don't live in an agricultural society. We, obviously, there's loads of agriculture in our country, but we are kind of city dwellers or suburban city dwellers. We don't really engage with agriculture, and we live in a land of plenty. So we tend to be much less aware of just how precarious life is without rain or when there's too much rain. We were at our friend's farm yesterday over in Cumbria. I was talking to one of the guys, and he said, yeah, by now we should have cut our second crop of grass for silage. We can't cut it. It's too wet. And it reminds us just how precarious life can be without rain or even with too much rain. But it's important to remember that every good thing we have in life is a gift from God. And sometimes in our kind of society where we go to Tesco's or Asda or whatever else for you, or Audi for your food, we forget just the reality of God's provision because we're a little bit removed from the coalface or from the field face of where those crops are done. And it's good to remember that every good gift we have in life is a gift from God. And this psalm reminds us that we've got so many reasons to be thankful for God's provision to us. Even the poorest amongst us this morning are incredibly wealthy in worldwide terms. The poorest amongst us probably in the UK are still in the top 6% richest of the world. 
that just kind of puts things into perspective. When we're feeling a little bit hard done by and we haven't had a takeaway for a few weeks or haven't been out for a coffee, we're still in the richest 6% of the world's population. And we often use our homes and our cars and our possessions, don't we, without really kind of giving a second thought to the fact that it's God who provided them for us. Or, or, or we moan about the things that we don't have. And we often eat the food that we have without stopping just to, to kind of think and say, thank you to God for providing this food for me. And if you don't do that, maybe if, if it's not part of your kind of practice to stop and before uh, a meal just to stop and give thanks to God for doing that, and for giving you that food. Can I encourage you to do that? Not in a legalistic sense, but actually it's a really good thing, obviously, to just to acknowledge God's provision, but it also helps remind us throughout the day that every good thing we have is a gift from God and that we would have nothing without God. It really helps remind us, just like this psalm, of how good God is and just how much we should worship and praise Him for the way that He provides for us. And as is so often the case in the Bible, the physical is a picture of the spiritual God's rich and abundant provision of physical food is a great picture of His spiritual provision for us. God has provided everything we need for life. Peter, the Apostle Peter, says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And Paul writes these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, not just some spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing. We are so blessed physically and even more importantly, spiritually. And this psalm helps us, reminds us how amazing God is and how good He's been to us in so many ways. Now, I've listed 16 reasons. You could split hairs and probably find some more just in this psalm. And what's for sure is if we went right through the Bible, we would probably come up with hundreds, thousands, and maybe tens of thousands of different reasons why God is worthy of praise and why we should worship Him and give Him thanks. We've barely scratched the surface this morning, and there's much more I could have said about these things, but I promised you I'd just speak for 20 minutes this morning, because <laughs> the kids are out, we wanted just to make it a slightly shorter service. So 16 reasons to praise and worship God. So many, many more that we could think of. God is so good. So with that in mind, let's spend the rest of the service doing just that, worshipping and praising God, hopefully with some of the thoughts I've shared as kind of fuel to, 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 to kind of fan the, the uh, flame of your heart as we worship God together in song as we take communion. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand back to Stuart and the band, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship before we take communion together. Let's just pray. Father, we are amazed at your goodness. We're amazed at all that you are and all that you've done for us. And we worship you this morning. You are awesome. You are eternal. You just spoke the world into being. We fall at your feet in awe of all that you are and in awe of all you've done for us. Father, forgive us for so often failing to focus on you, thinking of you. Forgive us, Father, for taking for granted so many good things that we have. Forgive us for even taking for granted the gospel, for your salvation, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. We worship you. We praise you this morning. And Lord, we just pray that just in this brief time, if, if for no other time, we would worship you with our hearts full. But Lord, we pray that not just for now, but that that would be the ongoing beat of our heart today, throughout this week, to be those who worship you in spirit and in truth. So Lord, we bless you, we worship you, we give you thanks. We thank you together 
in the name of Jesus. Amen.